Hey guys, I'm so glad you decided to join us. My name is Bethany. I'm Emmanuel Baptist's uh, college student techie, basically the unpaid intern. Um, <laughs> and we're so glad you decided to join us today. Uh, just a couple things before we start the episode. Um, first of all, the audio is pulled from our Facebook Live video, so that means the quality isn't that great. But the good news is you can go to our Facebook page to watch the video in its entirety. I'll put the link in the description, and that'll include the singing and all of that. Um, we know the quality isn't that great, but we created this podcast. I put podcast in air quotes. Um, so you can listen to the sermon, whether you're working or driving or whatever. Um, so anyway, so glad you're here and enjoy. All right. Turn, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 37. And let's bow and ask God's blessing on the reading. our thoughts and our minds. Lord, help us to focus on what you have for us here today. Lord, you are our great God, and you're not an absent God. You're not just like the DSA, one who created the world, you're not just any being. We know you're interactive in our lives, and you want this word to speak to our hearts so that we can leave here a changed people because we've met so, Lord, let your word speak to each of us here this evening. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, I know I'm dating myself. How many people know who Walter Payton is? Okay. <laughs> you guys aren't football fans. Walter Payton played 13 years as a running back for the Chicago Bears. During his career, he rushed for 16,726 yards. Anybody want to guess how many miles that is? <laughs> About nine So that's more than nine miles. What makes his figure even more spectacular is that he achieved it getting knocked down on average every 4.6 yards. So imagine getting knocked down every 4.6 yards and then getting up, next down, doing it again, and getting knocked down. He was a man who persevered, persevered in his life. We know that Jer Jeremiah too kept getting knocked down. With that, we come now to God's word. We'll begin at verse 11. And it happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to claim his property there among the people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard, was there whose name was Erejiah, the son of Phelemiah, the son of Hananiah, and seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are defecting to the Chaldeans. Then Jeremiah said, 
false. I am not defecting to the Chaldeans, but he did not listen to him. So Erijah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Therefore the princes were angry with Jeremiah, and they struck him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe. For they had made that the prison. When Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. The king asked him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. First, Jeremiah had faithfully proclaimed God's message of coming destruction for 40 years. Now all of his warnings and predictions were coming true. Babylon had laid siege to Jerusalem. The fall of the city was imminent. You would think after proclaiming a message that was being fulfilled before their eyes, the people would start to believe Jeremiah. But his message only seemed to harden the hearts of the people. They kept taking shots at him, knocking him down, beating him up, leaving him for dead. But Jeremiah kept getting back up. He prevailed despite suffering to be faithful to his God's orders. Jeremiah persevered in obedience. That's our thought here today. Perseverance in obedience. We see what we just read. Jeremiah was arrested for deserting to the enemy. You find Jeremiah leaving Jerusalem during the withdrawal of Babylonian forces. He was going to claim the land that was his. We don't quite understand what that was. It might relate to a field that he purchased as we would see in chapter 32. But nevertheless, the guard saw him leaving, assumed that he was defecting to Babylon since he was pronouncing all those years of their coming, and was charged as defecting to the enemy. Such an accusation angered Jeremiah. He had been loyal to his country. He stood strong. He voiced the truth even though everyone was opposing him. He longed for his countrymen to return to the Lord their God. They refused, preferring darkness to light. They brought him to the city officials. We see here that he was imprisoned. He stayed there for several days, and King Zedekiah sent for him to see if God had a word for Israel. Again, listen to what he said. There is. You shall be delivered into the hand of the king. Can you imagine 
Ja, 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 Considering his circumstances, it would have been easy for Jeremiah to give up, to stay down, but Jeremiah would not. He got back up, boldly proclaiming the truth. Again, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah then was accused of demoralizing the army. Next, turn if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 4. Therefore the princess said to the king, Please, let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city, and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of his people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah the king said, Look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water, but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Just before that, if we will, at the beginning of chapter 38. Now Seth Bataiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal, the son of Shemaliah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. So imagine... If you're living there in that city, you're a member of the army, you can understand why this might be upsetting. Babylon's going to come, take you away. I'm encouraging all the people, go there, live. Of course, he was doing what the Lord had commanded, but you can understand the people's anger at that moment. After all, he proclaimed defeat. He proclaimed destruction. He proclaimed devastation. Think of that as your pep talk. You go, how many people have ever been on a sports team? Ever have halftime events in your sports team? You, you go, there's halftime things going on, and your coach tries to encourage you for the second half. Come on, let's go out there and get them. We might be down a little bit, but we can go get them. That's not how cross country works. That's not how cross country works, yeah. I asked if, it was, do you, did you ever get anything like that before the week started? I did wrestling, we got it beforehand. It wasn't really, there was no halftime. But there was. 
but there wasn't soccer. In any event, you can get a halftime pep talk here. They got defeat, destruction, and demoralization. The officials wanted to kill Jeremiah. The king, weak and cowardly, refused to do anything to Jeremiah or to the officials. The king can't do anything to you. So they did what they want. Jeremiah's message wasn't popular, and neither was he. The people wanted a sermon of mercy, a sermon in their eyes of justice, but it wasn't justice. They wanted a God who would wink at their sin, not judge them for their sin. Jeremiah spoke the truth. The truth can be very painful to deliver, and it can be painful to receive. It causes people to want to pronounce, to excuse me, pounce on the one that is the truth bearer. They're the ones at fault. It's their problem. It angered the officials, so they wanted Jeremiah to be put to death. The king, however, refused to kill Jeremiah, so they did the next thing, best thing. They lowered Jeremiah into an empty cistern. Anybody know what a cistern is? Exactly. It's a vessel to hold water. So these were large ones underground to hold water because, of course, they were in an area that was prone to drought. So just like we have a giant water tank above ground and the pressure forces it through the pipes, they had underground where they stored. Escape from a cistern was virtually impossible. Here was Jeremiah just sinking in the mud. And if that's not a word picture, I don't know what is. Anyway, the prophet of God pronouncing truth, the people don't want to hear it, so he's just stuck in the mud, sitting there, sinking. No escape. No one hearing his message. He's alone in the dark. A slow, filthy way to die especially for someone who had been faithful and obedient in proclaiming the truth. But yet, Jeremiah was asked to give a message to the king. After Jeremiah's rescue from the cistern, the king sent for him. The king wanted to hear from the prophet again. He asked Jeremiah to be honest, not withholding any information, I'm sure he was hoping that Jeremiah had somehow seen the light in the darkness and his pronouncement would this time be a little bit more favorable. If you will, verse 14. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, 
and will not listen to me. Well, that's Jeremiah's like, why, why should I bother? You're not going to listen to me. You never listen to me. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, as Jehovah lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel. Before we go any further, notice what he's saying here. The God of hosts. What are the hosts? Angels. The Lord's army. So he's stressing here. The God of hosts, the head of the commander, the commander of the Lord's army, the head of Israel, and your head king, by the way. Your, if you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. The city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. If you could have one word to sum that up, what would it be? Mercy. I was thinking grace. But mercy both apply. You're not getting what you deserve. I'm showing you mercy. And then I'm extending my grace to you. Yes, you've done wrong. But if you honor me in this, if you're obedient in this, you shall live. The city won't be destroyed. This is your opportunity. But then we see but. But. If you do not surrender to the uh, king of Babylon's princes, then the city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. And Zedekiah king said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hands, and they abuse me. But Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord which I speak to you, so it shall be well with you, and your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown He's pleading with the king here, saying, do it. God has promised, if you really believe him, God has promised you will not be turned over, you will not be harmed, you shall live. Jeremiah hid nothing from the king. He ran his race with integrity. Getting back to our football analogy. He ran, and he didn't fumble. Until recent years, the Patriots always fumbled. With every, I mean, they broke the curse, so to speak, uh, years ago. But prior to their reign, so to speak, they always fumbled. Anybody watch? Uh, you guys weren't football fans. I was thinking Gordon years ago. No, even before that. 
But in any event, he didn't fumble the ball. And look, what did he get in return? What did Jeremiah get in return? Beatings, imprisonments, a polluted cistern, death threats. He got knocked down and down again. The fact of the matter is, in this life, truth costs. It hurts. Because we live in a world that prefers lies over truth. Jeremiah's story reminds us of our Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ. King, but also prophet. And as a prophet, he said these words. I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus, though popular at first, saw the tide of public public opinion turn on him. Think about it. In just one week's time, or less than that actually, they were praising him, Hosanna in the highest, laying the palm branches down. He rides in on a donkey. They're saying, hallelujah, the son of David's here. And just a few short days later, crucified. most of us maybe have had similar experiences. That one minute maybe was at your job. Hey, good job. Good job. Excellent work. And then if something goes wrong, who gets pointed? It had nothing to do with you. It must have been you. You did it. Or something similar. A friend betray you. We all can associate with this. He proclaimed our Lord Jesus Christ, proclaimed grace and justice. He wasn't accepted by all. He encountered death threats. He was misunderstood. He was called names. He was knocked down again and again, beaten and abused. Our Lord Jesus Christ walked the way of the cross. But he knew. Ultimately, it was the will of the Father to bear truth. And he became a sacrifice for us. His obedience was put to the ultimate test, and our Lord Jesus Christ perfectly met it. He ran for glory and won. So, what are the means to persevere? What does it mean to persevere in obedience? First and foremost, you need to stand by your conviction. Throughout Jeremiah's ordeal, he stood by his conviction, speaking truth of God's will. Turn, if you will, back to Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 18 says, for behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall, bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes, against its priests, and against the people of this land. 
Jeremiah was told beforehand what was going to happen and that the Lord God would be with him. And we see here, he had the strength and the courage to go to the king and tell him the truth when it would have been easy to do otherwise. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we too need to stand firm in our convictions. A person with conviction knows what he believes he knows where he is going and why. Convictions aren't forced on an individual. They are beliefs and they are actions of choice. They are truth, the mission, and the calling given by God that are, are not altered by time, by people, by opinions, by circumstances. In other words, Know what you believe and stand firm. They're your beliefs. And hopefully your beliefs line up with God's beliefs. That's why we need to be reading his word. But again, stand firm in your convictions. And again, when it comes to the election, the same thing is true. Stand firm on your convictions. Francis Kelly wrote these words. Convictions are the main, mainspring of action. The driving powers of life. What a man lives are his convictions. I love that last part. What a man lives are his convictions. What we truly believe, we will live out in our lives. Martin Luther King Jr. often told his children, if a man has nothing that is worth dying for, he is not fit to live. How many people years ago saw the movie Chariots of Fire? All right, some did. Chariots of Fire was the inspiring story of Eric Liddy. Little. During the 1924 Olympics, Little had planned to compete his event, however, ended up being scheduled on Sunday, which violated his convictions. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He had trained for this event, but his Olympic hopes crumbled. He held to his conviction, not competing in the race, but he entered another event. He hadn't prepared for this event, but he was allowed to run in it. Victory looked impossible. Then just before the race, one of his opponents put a note in his hand. It said, he who honors me, I will honor. Eric ran in faith. His convictions were unbroken. He honored God, and God blessed him. Eric Little won the gold medal. Each day will challenge our convictions. The person who perseveres in obedience lives by those convictions each and every day. So first, stand by your convictions. Secondly, make the right choices. People who persevere choose not to stand, stay down. They get up. The choices we made yesterday affect our today. The decisions we make today will determine our tomorrow. Sartre wrote these words. 
We are our choices. Obedience is always a choice. No one forces one to obey God, his word, or his will. It boils down to the choice that we make each day. A choice to be faithful or not. To be loving or not. To be available or not. The choices that determine our obedience are the ones regarding honesty, in, in integrity, and sincerity. A husband who remains faithful and loyal to his wife. The athlete who refuses to take stimulants or other drugs to improve their performance. A student who decides to study rather than taking the easy uh, road by cheating or crib sheet. Maybe even paying someone to write their paper for them. The salesman who honestly accounts for his expenditures rather than padding the books. The authors of How to Succeed Where It Really Counts tell about two friends who owned an extremely profitable business. They put it up for sale and gave their word that pending a few details, they would sell it to a buyer. They made their decision on Friday. However, over the weekend, they received another offer that would have offered them a lot more money. Unsure of what they would do, they spent the rest of the weekend praying with their wives. By Sunday night, they agreed that their word must be their bond. On Monday morning, they called the second buyer and turned down this much better offer. They made their decision not on dollars, but on obedience to living right. So again, make the right choices. Thirdly, maintain personal character. Jeremiah maintained his character. Standing on the truth of God's word in the midst of a preaching of a, uh, a difficult message, his character remained intact. The most pressing uh, need in our world today is Christ-like character. We know it's in short supply. Gail Sheely wrote this, The root of the word character is the Greek word for engraving. As implied to human beings, it refers to the enduring marks left by life that, is, that set one apart as an individual. Let me read that again. It refers to the enduring marks left by life that set one apart as an individual. In other words, character is that encompassing ingredient that makes each of us different. Our character is what makes us different. It makes us unique as people. And lastly, Refuse to compromise. Refuse to compromise. There are circumstances that will cause the compromise to maintain peace, to maintain harmony. But we should never compromise truth. Part of life is compromise. Getting along, whatever peacefully, amongst all men. But we should never compromise truth. Jeremiah did not comp uh, compromise with Irijah, the sentry who arrested him, charging him with desertion. 
nor with the officials who wanted Jeremiah to soften the message to one of peace and prosperity, nor with King Zedekiah who longed for Jeremiah to agree with his higher prophets who said that Judah would prevail. Christian history is filled with inspiring stories of people of principle, those who refuse to compromise on their beliefs. Today, Christians around the world are languishing in prison because they haven't compromised their faith or given in to government suggestions for relief. For example, Christians in Laos are accused of following an American religion and would be released from prison if they would just sign a document denying Christ. Most refuse. And there's example after example after example. Let us be faithful and not deny Christ in each and every one of our actions. So in conclusion, in the end, after you have been knocked down repeatedly, what will you do? After you have run your race, what will be your legacy? And when that's become too often, what will your epitaph say? When you get to the end of your life, will they be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant? like Jeremiah and Elijah and of course ultimately look